Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Exploration with Ash Harrin. Following on this season's theme on 80s movies, we shall be talking about the 1984 musical drama Footloose, directed by Herbert Ross and starring Kevin Bacon, Laurie Singer, Chris Penn and John Lithgow. Footloose was a film I recently revisited after probably about a decade. I mean, I saw the film on TV a few times, but I haven't seen it in a long time from start to finish. And I must say, I was utterly impressed with how much I still enjoyed it. It was a great movie. It was light-hearted. The characters were well-developed. It was easy to follow. And it wasn't your typical musical. It had a core theme in the backdrop, which sort of helped provoke the amazing music in this film. And although this film is described as a musical, by definition, Footloose isn't a musical. Some have coined the term musical jukebox, where a film includes famous tracks like Holding Out for a Hero and Let's Hear It for the Boy, and using it to montage a scene with dance and to carry on the story along, kind of like um, how Dirty Dancing do. Although the main stars don't sing, they break into dance, which is sort of usually a form of action or expression in these moods or in these kind of films. Musicals, uh, by definition, however, are um, quite interconnected into the narrative, usually accompanied by dancing and singing. The songs usually advance the plot or develop the film's characters, but in some cases they serve merely as breaks in the storyline, often as elaborate production numbers. Now, musicals for me have always been quite an interesting genre to explore. I mean, I grew up with a family who introduced me to Bollywood movies early on, and the Bollywood movies are completely different to Hollywood movies. It's a common thing that most Bollywood movies are at least two and a half hours long i mean even three hours i think they even go over three hours let's say average time is about two hours 45 and part of the reason is because no matter what genre the bollywood film is tackling it'll include song and dance in it it's almost traditional things that uh they should have a dancing sequence or some actors uh sing throughout the movie that dates back to the 30s or 40s when hollywood would always make films that use music and dance to explore the movies and now it's a very you know popular part of their culture so growing up i mean the music and dance was almost the norm in being in a moving picture it didn't matter if the film was a war movie or an action movie there was always going to be at least three or four singing and dancing scenes usually in an elaborate way with a big production number and then when i started watching hollywood movies i realized that music and dance was a genre of its own in films like greece and west side story with the difference in cultures it was interesting to see how western filmmakers would implement song and dance into their movies and i realized the more predominant genres in hollywood were at the time westerns which slowly evolved into action movies and comedies became rom-com and you know action sort of evolved into sci-fi and that went into horror and that genre of comedy was sort of the closest to explore song and dance and then obviously we had musicals now bollywood really have never really evolved in terms of their musical background it remains to be a fundamental part of their cinema even in today's releases if a bollywood war movie came out last year there would still be a song and dance in it and by definition that war movie would be a musical and it's a very it's very interesting to see the difference in cultures in, their, in, in sort of the way they execute certain genres. Before I talk about Footloose for a bit, I'm just going to go back and talk about musicals as a genre. I mean, they were said to have originated back in Broadway in 1866 with a production called The Black Crow, where it was arguably one of the first to do a narrative that included dancing and singing. Others have actually argued this fact because of how bad this production was, or rather yet how controversial it was, especially with the elaborate costumes that was in the movie, or the Broadway show, sorry. Of course, many argue the right of being the first in terms of anything, really. In terms of this, I mean, many were trying to sort of claim the throne. Uh, we had burlesque dancers, pantomimes, Greek theatre, have all tried to claim the throne as being the first to be the first ever musical. 
But the truth is, we just don't know, because even now, when discussing Footloose, it needs to hold certain qualities for it to be classified as a musical. Now, Footloose doesn't do one important thing, which is singing. The actors do not sing in this movie or break into song. The dancing is actually a theme in the movie, much like Dirty Dancing, which explores the depth of this musical drama rather than the actors just breaking into dance with a massive production number to take a break from the story. In Bollywood, I believe, they do this because the movie is over three hours, so these song and dance scenes act as a break. I mean, not all the time, but they do. But but they do, and that's not to say these dancing scenes are not relevant to the story. They are, but in most cases, I believe the song and dance scenes in Bollywood movies could exist without them. Now, with Footloose, none of the stars are even professional dancers in the movie. I mean, Kevin Bacon isn't, Laurie Singer isn't, Sarah Jessica Parker isn't, Chris Penn definitely isn't, John Lithgow isn't. Saying that, though, I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker and Laurie Singer have had musical experience. I think... Laurie Singer was in Fame, uh, which came out the same decade, and Sarah Jessica Parker starred in Annie in Broadway. So, you know, I believe both of those were after this movie was made. Chris Penn didn't even know how to dance in this movie, which is why I always say he definitely doesn't know how to dance, because the scene where Kevin Bacon is teaching him how to dance had to be written into the movie, because they already casted Chris Penn, and they really liked him as the actor. Uh, they liked him as the, in the role, but um, he couldn't dance, so they had to write it in the script. So the scenes where, you know, they're teaching him how to dance, and the scene where he's actually dancing in the end is all Chris Penn and him learning to dance throughout the set. And even with Kevin Bacon, although the guy can dance and shake the hips a little bit, he even admitted that during this film he had, like, four to five body doubles for some of the solo dance scenes in the movie, especially the ones in the mill, which is understandably because the dancing scenes are like, you know, the professional gymnasts doing these dance routines, which is insane. He even said in an interview a couple of years back, actually, that he had to tip DJs to not playing footlooses at weddings that he was at because people can assume he can... People just assume he could do the dance, that he could just break into the footloose dance off cue. But he wasn't doing all the dancing during the movie. He laughs about it because people... People just constantly, like, remember him for that role. I mean, all the movies he's done, Footloose is the one people love him for. And they constantly want to dance with him. And, you know, you can imagine the attention he gets on the streets, let alone discos and weddings. So I'll come to Footloose in a second, but I just need to quickly tell you the rise of musicals and how it adapted. Now, musicals had their sort of golden age from the 1930s to the 1950s. I mean, there was a film called The Jazz Singer, which came out in the um, in the 1920s, which was, which was probably considered the first musical film. It was the first to include an audio tract, including non-diegetic music and diegetic music. That's movie played in the movie and movie played over the movie. And the year after that, there was a film called Broadway Melody, and it came out and it was massive. It ended up being like the first sound film to ever win an Oscar, which isn't really saying much because the Oscars was was actually introduced a year before the movie came out. So it was only the second year for the Oscars, um, but it was a musical and it was revolutionary at the time. After that came out, people were in awe of this new genre of singing and moving pictures. Disney made it massive when Snow White came out in the 30s. And they used this sort of genre in most of their films, like Jungle Book in the 60s, Aladdin in the 90s. And they still tend to use musical elements in most Disney movies now. The 30s boomed uh, you know, through with musicals after Broadway Melody came out, with other musicals coming out like Jazz Nights, Kiss Me Again, Under a Texas Moon. And obviously things had to come to a bit of a halt during the late 30s and most of the 30s because of World War II. Instead, we had propaganda adverts and movies taken over, hence the, you know, once happy faces of musicals going down the drain. And after the Second World War was over, it was a time of celebration. And that's where the 50s blossomed again with musicals and classics were starting to be introduced, like Singing in the Rain and An American in Paris. 
And then the 60s started to come along. And by then, the genre was quite well established. The 60s introduced famous, you know, the, the Sound of Music, My Fair Lady, Mary Poppin. And they started introducing, like, A-listers in these genres, you know, bankable stars like Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney, Fred Astaire. And when the 70s came along, the 70s was was notorious for its sort of gritty style of movies during the decades and musicals were like once again put on halt like it was during World War II. Now, personally, I think the 70s was sort of the best decade for movies. Although stage productions were, you know, still going on like Fiddler on the Roof and Cabaret, which sort of kept the musical genre alive, films like The Godfather, The Deer Hunter, Rocky, Taxi Driver were dominating cinemas in the 70s, which for me was, what you know, like I said, was one of the most successful periods for cinema. Even the way Saturday Night Fever was done was in a very dark and bleak tone, despite the popularity in the music genre. It wasn't until the 80s did musicals revive again, with the one hit in the 70s in the name of Grease, did this teen music subgenre come alive with the help of John Hughes's high school music, uh, movies coming out in this period. The 80s had the brightest colours in its movies, and the audiences globally, you know, after the seriousness and bleakness of the 70s, it was a really refreshing mood to sort of see this young adolescence genre come to life. Now, the 80s flourished with children's films like The Goonies, E.T., and these high school comedies and Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club. And the music genre decided to step in and introduce fame, Blues Brothers, um, Little Shop of Horrors, Hairspray. Um, even sequels were coming out like um, Staying Alive. Grease 2 even came out. And, of course, we have these jukebox musicals like Dirty Dancing and, of course, Footloose. So Footloose, if you haven't seen it, it tells the story of Wren, played by Kevin Bacon, this big city kid who moves to this small town, Beaumont, where rock music and dancing have been banned due to an earlier tragedy in this town. And Wren has this sort of kind-hearted yet rebellious and passionate spirit which shakes up this community with his love of music and dancing. Now, in this movie, him and his mother move in with his aunt and uncle after their father abandons them and makes no attempt to blend in slowly with this reverse or reserved community, but rather piques the lady's interest with his David Bowie hairstyle and his clear rebellious love for music, which he blasts out of his VW car. So as the story develops, Ren becomes involved with the pastor's daughter, and throughout the film it's his mission to make this town realise that, um, you know, dancing and music isn't the work of Satan. It's ridiculous to think that music could ever be banned, let alone illegal. However, this is loosely based on a true story. There was this extremely, like, religious farming town somewhere in Oklahoma back in uh, 1978, I think. And in this town, I think it was called Elmore City, dancing had been banned for 90 years. And it was until a group of teenagers challenged it and, you know, they legalised it. Now, the movie is quite well do uh, done in terms of, like, not picking sides here. Now, right from the open, we have John Lithgow uh, preaching heavily about the sins of rock and roll and dancing. And then it's great. It's a great opening scene because in the church, we almost see every character with their expression to this sermon. It's a very similar opening to Still Magnolias, if you've ever seen that, with this preaching scene at the start. And then I actually realized that the director of Footloose directed Still Magnolias, so it wasn't quite surprising then. So John Lithgow, you know, is a great cast for the role of the preacher. From this opening scene, he is loud, he's tall, he's, you know, he's on a platform. Everyone is reacting to him. And yet later, there's a scene at the very beginning of the film where the Reverend walks in on his daughter and a bunch of other teens having, like, an impromptu dance party at a drive-in. And I was expecting fireworks. I was expecting him to, you know, blow up. 
Instead, he just has this very small, defeated look on his face and simply tells his daughter that her mother was concerned about her and reminded her to get home by her curfew. Then he leaves. So we assume the worst of him and we accept him as the villain of this movie early on and it's easy to do it. I mean, it's easily been set up like that with his sermon at the start. But what's great about his character is he never really makes an effort to shout at his daughter or punish her for this. You can see that he had an amazing relationship with his daughter in this movie, but they're at that point now where they don't know what to say to each other. And it's quite a charming performance from John Lithgow because he actually cle- you know, he clearly loves her and despite this thing that... He solely believes in in dancing and singing. He doesn't try and convince her she's wrong about music. He's just saying that it's his way of grieving to his son's death, which is why the ban has been put in place. And I love that about the film. And the villain in the movie, and or who wants to be the you know the villain in this movie, is actually someone you know we tend to sympathise with and care about. It's not a story about religion. It's more a story about change and how we you know adapt through time. And also. People have their way of grieving, and he was in a place to establish this band. He was in a place of power, and now he holds this responsibility for the whole town not to go back on this, but at the same time, he comes to respect Ren and his words about why they should have a prom at the end of the movie, and it turns out that he adapts, and by doing so, he gets that relationship back with his daughter and his wife, and I just think it's done so well with the performance of John Lithgow. I mean, I was reading as well, while shooting this, he was also shooting Terms of Endearment, another great film if you've ever seen that. He was doing, the, he was doing those scenes during his break, so he was really going full on in the, ni- um, in the 80s. Um, John Lithgow, if you don't know him, he's um, more famous for doing the voice of um, Lord Farquaad in Shrek, actually. Um, but he's, um, he's in Interstellar, uh, Planet of the Apes. He's just a very, I think most of his um, best movies are in the 80s. This was definitely one of his greatest movies. And, you know, straight from the church scene, we wander straight outside and we see Ren's mother introduce themselves to the community. And it's really good directing because already we know from little effort where, where the established order is and that these characters are new to the town. And Kevin Bacon does not hold back in his um, performance as Ren and to try and sort of um, be a kiss-ass to this community. And I think it's just flawless directing. You know, he shows no attempt to try and fit in, but rather, you know, stick to what he believes in. And I think that's a very important message to this film you know without his sort of lack of desire to impress he creates real change to a town that is begging for it and you know that these are the kids that are longing for it this repression of these kids being told you can't dance you can't sing to these kind of songs it's almost provoking them to rebel and the scene with laurie singer where she jumps from one car to another while she's moving you know it's a really big symbol to her need and desire for excitement this missing part of her life she risks her life almost just for that drop of fun or danger and it foreshadows the real antagonist of this movie which is her boyfriend at the time who represents someone who hasn't changed who stayed in this town after school and he is literally dragging her back and this car scene is used as a symbol for like a her need to break free and b this town trying to really cement her into the ground by having the boyfriend grab her into the car and i think that's just quite a symbolic uh sort of direction from herbert ross but back at the scene with Ren, when they talk about, you know, uh, when they're getting introduced just outside, after the sermon, they talk about Slaughterhouse-Five, which is um, a really, really good book. But they're, they're going on about how it's an awful book and uh, they shouldn't be reading this in school. And Kevin Bacon just jumps in and makes no time for making friends, but instead says he loves that book, much to the shock of the preacher and the, the people from the community. And the line... Uh, I, I don't know what the, Yeah, I know what the line is. When the woman says, well, maybe in some towns, but not here... And Kevin Bacon doesn't even stop there. He just goes, in every town it's a good book. 
And the motion for real change is in play here. We understand he is a bit shocked by this law of music and dancing and decides to do something about it later on. He, he, you know, he doesn't hold back. And I think other actors were lined up to play Ren with um, Tom Cruise and Rob Lowe. Tom Cruise was actually busy with another project and Rob Lowe was actually about to be cast but he pulled his knee while auditioning for the dancing scene for this movie and then Herbert Ross or Diner with Kevin Bacon and he convinced the producers to go with him and I also read that the scene where Kevin Bacon goes to the city council to address the entire town about having prom I mean it's really good acting but it's actually acting in disguise because he was suffering from hives in his midsection it broke out and in this scene you know he's he mentions he's uncomfortable speaking in public but and there's so there isn't much acting here because he looks really uncomfortable and it's not because of well he is a good actor but it's the fact that he's got hives in his midsection it was really irritating for him so he was actually in a really uh, a lot of discomfort in that scene which you can see because he's sweating and just looks really on edge and, uh, you know, this was certainly the stepping stone in his career that later made him a true A-lister in Hollywood, appearing in films like Tremors, which I love, Flatliners, A Few Good Men, and would noticeably be in films with a lot of A-listers, which created this six degree of separation Kevin Bacon game and his involvement with every A-lister in Hollywood, which I thought was quite cool. And I think with Footloose, it screams to be revisited. I mean, it's a universal theme that people can, you know, turn to religion in a time of crisis or a time of great loss. And nothing seems to be going your way because of the loss of his son. Reverend Moore begins to change the way he runs his church. He be- his belief becomes much more intense and stricter because of the town's isolation. It's easier to manipulate these citizens. I mean, they have so much faith in their church and beliefs. They you know they that they abide by whatever is preached to them. They have no other ways of worshiping in this community. This is the way the film humanizes the concept of evil upon God's earth. There may not be a specific reason why the car accident happened, but God is there to save them afterwards and to be saved they must give up something they love and in this instance it's dancing and singing and the film is framed around the conflict between old values and modern values i mean reverend moore holds his traditional values highly for everyone especially his daughter who turns out to be in conflict which could almost be a typical teenage relationship in which you are provoked to do things you're told not to do by your parents even with the preacher's wife she you know you're not convinced she's in agreement with him but still holds firm the elders are not blind but instead shy away from this temptation even Ren's mum acknowledges she knows what David Bowie looks like tells us that the elders have had experiences of music and rock and roll and dancing and it might not all be negative it's just the way things are here the point this film makes is times are changing and with change comes turning your back on things you once thought was something else and sometimes emotions or even nostalgia clouds this from you. I mean I mentioned on social media I watched Batman the other day the one with Michael Keaton and in my head I, I thought it was a fantastic movie and I thought Jack Nicholson was the best Joker ever done you know. And I was shocked to find out when I revisited this film it was actually a really bad film and Jack Nicholson wasn't that great as the Joker. And the time came when I said to myself, you know what, you know, this film wasn't how I remembered it was. The Joker wasn't that great then. But, you know, with change comes time. And with time, you need to grow up as a person. And sometimes you're not always going to have someone like Ren turn up in your life and tell you there is another side to this. But sometimes you do. And it's your choice if you pay attention to it. And in Footloose, they all do, even the preacher. And I just think that's a really powerful message in this film. And that's what I love about this uh, this movie. It's not just a musical, or should I say Duke's, jukebox musical, but rather, yeah, it hides away a great message coated in the famous Kenny Loggins song and Kevin Bacon charm. 
The film ended up becoming a stage musical in 1999. I think it ran over 700 shows in Broadway, and it was quite successful, actually. And there was even a remake in 2011, which I haven't seen yet, but one day I'm sure I will. Anyways, that's all I have time for today, and I hope this was revealing, and I hope it puts you in a mood to watch Footloose again, or create real change in your area, or even the world. You know, this is a film that really plays on that message, and I think it's uh, a fantastic one at that. But yes, so this is Film Exploration with Ash Hurry, and I'm on Instagram, Film Exploration AH or lowercase or one word, and thank you for listening to Footloose with Ash Hurry.